This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. We're educated fools with money on our minds, but this ain't no gangster's paradise. Like that, Coolio. Terrible. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Good to be with you. Today, the oil price jumps after OPEC deal. So what? Next, the CEO of US Bank Wells Fargo has to hand back over $53 million. Are bankers finally getting what they deserve? And what would a Trump presidency mean for the market? Do you need to worry? Now, Scott, before we get started, we've been doing this podcast for a while now. We have. One of the questions that most often comes my way is, what the hell is a Motley Fool? <laughs> and if it's not that, it's more often if people go, what's the name? It's like Motley Crew. Or a, I wish we were Motley Crew. But Very we're, appropriate we're for the Triple M, as, as we know, the old, the old Motley Crew. No, it's, we're a, not... it's an odd name for a finance company, <laughs> It's a little right? bit strange, isn't it? Look, this is, a, this is a business started in about 1993 by a couple of English majors in the US. That might give you your first, your first clue. The Motley Fool was the Shakespearean court jester, what we would now call a court jester. He called the Motley Fool a Motley Colored Fool, a multicolored hat with bells on, of course. Yep. And in the ancient times, or maybe even not so ancient, back in Shakespearean times, the court jester was the only person who could tell the king the truth without losing his head. Uh, so Shakespeare used the fool as a way of kind of telling, you know, speaking truth to power. Um, at The Motley Fool, we kind of like to see ourselves as outside the finance industry. Yeah, we're kind of, you know, um, we're in the industry, but we're a bit different from them. And we, we really do take a bit of pride in that, quite frankly. Um, but as, as Motley Fools, um, we are, we are a, a breed apart. Our job is to educate, amuse, and enrich you. Hopefully through this podcast, we can do a little bit of each of those three. And importantly, it's Fool with a capital F, Indeed. Right? We're not lowercase <laughs> yeah, F, that's right. Well, we try not to be. We, anyway. we, take, we take pride in the capital F, absolutely. All right. So hopefully that clears that up, uh, The Motley Fool. Uh, i tell you what, one, th- one very quick thing on that. Whenever I'm on an analyst call, your results are out, you dial in to hear the company. They always say, what's your name and what company you're from? Andrew Page from The Motley Fool. It's always followed up by, I'm sorry? <laughs> then there's a pause while you go and check with someone. <laughs> there's right. a guy in the phone from The Motley Fool. This, is it, this is a financial <laughs> call, right? Yes, I know. Just Stop let playing me a in. prank on let us. Let me in. All right, let's get on with it. All right, let's move on. So the oil price jump, man, it was a huge jump. Um, OPEC the other day said, we're going to cut production. Now, it amounted to probably, what, 2 2.5% of a cut. Give or take. Um, but, geez, did the markets like it. So the price of oil shot up. You know, any company that's got anything to do with oil shot up, you know, quite a big way. Yep. Um, so I guess the first thing, let's start at the very beginning here. OPEC. Sounds to me like a, a rapper or a, a Bond villain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Spectre, OPEC, right. <laughs> right. Tupac. Well, what's it mean? What's it mean? <laughs> All right. So OPEC stands for the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Okay. It's basically a cartel. You know, in Australia, two companies aren't allowed to get together and set prices. But on, in, the, in the international trade world, they kind of those rules don't apply. So OPEC is literally a cartel. It's a group of countries that get together and say, hey, let's all restrict or increase the amount of oil being produced. And in return, we'll either get a higher or a lower price, depending on what they want to try and achieve. Something that's illegal. So they're colluding. Yeah, oh, they, yeah outright colluding. Now, they are literally getting together and saying, let's set our volumes so that the price will go up or down, depending on what they're trying to achieve. Okay, let me wrap my head around this. So they're saying we're going to we're gonna um, drill less oil. Yes. We're going to sell less oil. Yes. Um, and, and it's, it's the old supply and demand economics 101 type thing. Correct. Less supply means prices will go up. Yes. But I'm still selling less of it though, right? Yeah, but this is, this is the beauty. So there is plenty of oil out there. They've got more oil they can know what to do with. And in fact, the oil price has got a, probably a five in front of it as we speak. I'll say 50 something dollars Almost, a barrel. Yep. If Saudi Arabia was, was outside the car, if the cartel was banned tomorrow, yep. the, the price of oil would probably fall to something in the low 20s, maybe even the high teens. That much? There is so much oil available. And it's so cheap. Saudi Arabia can get it out of the ground 
for literally $10, $12, $13 a barrel. So they could happily sell it for $15, $16 a barrel. They happily sell it for $20 a barrel and make an absolute fortune. The difference is they don't want to, right? Because they know how much oil the world can use. Well, and demand's so, pretty set, right? right. It's and sort so, of steadily growing, but not, you know. If they can find the right inflection point where they can provide almost as much oil as the world wants, not quite enough, yep. the price has got to go up. I get you. If they start supplying more than the world needs, well, simply supply and demand kicks in and the price falls. So these guys know how much they can physically, how much the world can use. Yep. There's no point producing more than that and seeing the price fall. If they can manage that process well enough, they're going to sell as much as the world wants, but for a very, very high price. And frankly, we need their oil, right? We're not going to, you know, the, the ships that run on the oil, our cars that run on the oil, our, our, our plastics, everything else that we do in the course of a day. In fact, OPEC sells between 32 and a half and 33 million barrels of oil a day. That is an astonishing amount. We use it for energy, we use it for plastic, we use it for a whole lot of stuff. OPEC know that, we know that, and OPEC basically get to try and set the price. Now, OPEC used to be a really effective cartel. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a pretty small number of companies in uh, countries in, in OPEC OPEC did a reasonably good job of enforcing it. Yes. The, the the challenge for OPEC today is a twofold. One is the countries no longer do exactly what they're told because no one can monitor it properly anyway. So they all do a deal with each other. Say, I'll tell you what, imagine Andrew, if you and I said, look, let's go, let's go and we'll only produce 10 barrels of oil each. Okay, deal. He said, okay, Scott. And, and then, then I go and sneakily do 12. Exactly, because right. you can, right? And so this, this, I don't, I'll just on that though, look, this is, call me a stickler, but doesn't that mean- <laughs> I, I probably call you a pedant. Go, we'll go with stickler. <laughs> Whatever you prefer. All right. Isn't that- I mean, the very definition of a cartel yep. is that you co-op is that you cooperate. Yes. So if I'm not going to cooperate, yes. What's the point? It's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma. It's a game theory sort of, you know. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. And so what you're hoping is everyone else does the right thing, and you're the one who doesn't do it. Mm. And if your extra million or so barrels of oil don't really tip the balance that much, no one really knows how much you're selling. Yeah, right. You can be, get a bit more. No one else minds. They all kind of, they, they, each of them figure each other's cheating, right? But yeah. only by a little bit. And they kind of, it's kind of one of those things where you, you know I'm cheating, I know you're cheating. Yeah. Let's agree to a number. We'll both cheat a little bit and maybe things will still be okay. So it's kind of, it's a game theory. It's one of the things where they agree to 33 million barrels, maybe 35 gets sold. But okay. that's, you know, that's okay. okay. We kind of assume that anyway. So we set the target a little bit lower. We all cheat a little bit. The bigger problem now, though, is that the likes of Russia and Venezuela are producing more and more and more oil. Well, not to they're, mention the US. Right. And they're outside OPEC. Yes. So OPEC's at their numbers. Yeah. But OPEC become a smaller and smaller player. Back yep. in the day, they were, I don't know what the number was. It was probably something like three quarters or 80% of the oil produced in the world. Yep. Over time, that percentage is falling as other players, A, find more oil and B, find ways of getting it out of the ground at cheaper prices. And frankly, here's the risk for OPEC. The higher the price goes, the more those high cost producers can afford and, to drill. And it incentivizes all this new... I mean, this you is the it. thing that I don't think anyone really saw coming a, a decade or so ago was that just the, the phenomenal rise of the shale oil phenomenon we in the United oil? States. Well, that's the thing. Peak oil was a, a term coined in the seventies. I'm going to say <laughs> we're running out of oil, Andrew. Well, you know, it's it, it's not it's not it's not a ludicrous notion. I mean, obviously, it's finite. We can debate, you know, the the, the levels and, and the rates that we're going to use it, but it is obviously finite. There is going to be a peak in production at some point. In theory, what's gotten so what you know everyone's gotten so wrong is just how how much that peak gets getting pushed back. And now at a point where it's just like we've got so much more than we're ever likely to need, at least at least for the for the you know next few decades. Andrew, I love scientists. I know you're a scientist by training. The scientists forgot to talk to the economists when it came to peak oil. Because here's the thing: when the price is high enough, people will find more oil. They'll find new ways of drilling that oil. Shale oil in the US, to your point, Andrew, or even liquefied natural gas here in Australia, those things aren't economical to mine mm. at under a certain amount of a certain price per barrel of oil. Right. Once the price gets a little bit higher. Everyone says, hang on, I can go and afford to drill 
kilometers and kilometers down in the North Sea. Yeah. I can afford to drill in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. I can afford to- 20 bucks to... a barrel, it's not worth my time. Right, At 100 right. bucks a barrel, game on. And so what happens? As the price rises, A, on, on demand, so we use a bit less because the price gets more expensive. So we all think we'll use a bit less. And on the supply side, a whole lot of people say, I can now afford to go and drill that oil. So yes, there is a finite amount of oil. What the what the scientists forgot, frankly, is that there is a market response, a market reaction to whatever happens in yep. the market. And yep. so what happens in supply and demand. So the more supply comes on, less demand. So the oil lasts a bit longer. If there's less demand, you, instead of having five years of oil, you might have five and a half or six or six and a half. Instead of having five decades, you have six or seven or eight mm. because we can use a little bit less oil as the price mm. goes up. Yep. And on the flip side, the supply goes up because people can afford to drill it. All right, we gotta we gotta move on. But Let's before we do, is it worth now? I, you know, I saw every oil related company jump massively <laughs> yesterday. Do I need to jump on this bandwagon? Go and fill up as many jerry cans as you can with oil and stick them in. Your, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, gee, it's tough, isn't it? Here's the here's the challenge. Every resource resource investing is tough at the best of times. Yes. Uh, energy dr in drilling. So I think about the, in Australia, the likes of Woodside Petroleum, Santos Oil Search, BHPs, BHP, exactly. Um, you know, there, there are some, there are some opportunities here in the country. The problem is if you're buying today, you're buying, assuming a certain future price for mm. oil and you simply can't know what that price is. Mm. If Russia and Venezuela keep pumping out more and more and more oil. And frankly, if there are cheaper ways of the U S and, and others doing it in what they call unconventional oil, mm. so gas or shale oil, mm. that sort of stuff that puts kind of a lid on the price. Mm. Most of the companies on the ASX, as we speak today are valued, assuming the price is probably gonna be higher than it is today already. Mm. So really, if you're buying oil, you know, oil company today, you're saying not only is the price today going to be higher, but it needs to be just to justify your investment, let alone to make gains from here. Mm. So it can be tempting. It's easy to try and think we can speculate on the price of oil. Mm. Quite frankly, if, if, if full-time oil traders around the world couldn't see this OPEC deal coming and the price jumped as a result, yeah, what there's very, very little chance we've got any chance and, and those listening. It's just, look, God, there's, there's much, much easier ways to make money in investing, put it that way. Yeah, I'm with you there. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk about banking, Scott. <laughs> and let's nice. and let's talk about, in particular, US Bank, the largest retail bank in the US, in fact, and, and uh, our favorite uh, octogenarian, Warren Buffett, has yes. got a 10% stake in this company. It's he called does. Wells Fargo. Now, they've gotten themselves in a bit of a pickle recently. Do you want to uh, talk us through that? They have indeed. Bankers. That's not a rhyming slang for anything, although you can, you can choose your own. You can choose <laughs> your own. Bankers with a W? What, what, it? Well, you said that, not me, Andrew. <laughs> I, I love my local banker, especially my mortgage manager. G'day. Thanks for, thanks for the loan. Look, you know what? There's a, there's a really interesting thing when it comes to life in general and investing in particular, and that's the power of incentives. Wells Fargo decided it wanted to grow the number of accounts it had. It wanted to be more popular among retail bank, retail uh, um, understandable. I get that. account holders like you or I. And so yep. what they did is they said to their staff, "Look, tell you what, we'll give you we'll give you a bonus if you sign up some more people to, to loans, and that kind of or to bank accounts. That makes sense, right? Yeah, um, if you're selling cars, you, you give your, your salesperson a bonus if you sell more cars. If you're selling yeah. Coke, you give the Coke sales rep some more money if you manage sure. to sell some more Coke. For sure. If you're a, if you're a bank, you're saying to your staff, if you sign up more people to bank accounts, I'll give you a bonus. That's great. Makes perfect sense. The problem is that once you provide an incentive, people find a way to game the system. So what did they do? They set up 2 million fake accounts. So when you say they, these are the, these are the tellers and the, or the salespeople? Correct. The bank, the bank salespeople set up 2 million fake accounts <laughs> and said to, their, said to their bosses, hey, look how many accounts I set up. I want, some, I want a bonus. The bank boss said, that's a sensational work. Well done. Here's your money. So you don't have to put a, 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 any money in an account when you open it up or they put a cent in there or something? Or how yeah, they... And, and they get to charge fees on the account. This is how kind of how it came out. So uh, basically, okay. you know, while while they looked like they were doing a great job, and frankly, the bank, depending on who you believe, did or didn't know what was going on, 
the CEO, though, is going to have to carry the can here. He's got to give back $53 million worth of pay from the bank, basically to keep his job. The board said, mate, it was done on your watch. You're responsible. Give us some money back or walk the plank. $53 million, though. Is that a lot for bad, a uh, Wells Fargo CEO? <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you're prepared to give back $53 million to keep your job, what does that say yeah, about how much you're worth, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. So, look, okay. you know, and, and frankly, there's a bit of reputation there. And I, would, and I should say, look, you know, Wells has massively stuffed this up. The, the, um, and this, this is relevant to Australia, by the way, so stick with us, Phils. The, you know, when you stuff up like that, your public reputation gets a, takes a massive hit. Yeah. This is a bank that was seen as one of the best banks in the country, one of the, um, you know, one of the, and, and frankly, with Warren Buffett's investing, one of the banks that you kind of trust, they were seen as the, the gold standard amongst retail banks. When yeah. we say retail banks, we mean not the Goldman Sachs investment banks and the, the Merrill Lynch's and the Peter Lehman, the Lehman Brothers. It's the ordinary the sort of bank. Right, exactly, you, exactly. Have your savings so, account. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, these, these guys were the gold standard and, and unfortunately they've, they've come up wanting. Mm. The state of California has pulled all of its business away from Wells Fargo for yep. a year. So they're really feeling some, some very serious PR damage and frankly, some financial damage because of this stuff up. Can I, here's the thing. I'm, look, I'm the last person to stick up for CEOs on hundreds of millions of dollars Se- each Second year. last. <laughs> second last. <laughs> um, but is it really this guy's fault? I mean, you, you are ahead of a massive, massive organization. Yep. This is something that has gone on very much at the front lines. If you look at the organizational chart of Wells Fargo, there's a yep. billion people between the CEO and the people perpetrating this. Yep. So, you know, when you're, when you're at that, that kind of level, you are, you are at a very high level type of, of concern. Right. Why does he the one who carries the can? I think it's a really good question. I have to say, uh, you know, our boss Bruce Jackson. A shout out to Bruce if you're listening. Um, you know, we, we could be, we could, we could leave the studio right now, Andrew. We could go and do something horrible, and we won't, but we could. And Bruce would have no idea, and it wouldn't be his hmm, motivation. It wouldn't Tell be his. <laughs> it wouldn't be his idea. So you know, and if Bruce had to carry the can on that, frankly, it wouldn't be that particularly fair. If you and I just went rogue all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, through no fault of his, would it be his responsibility? I, I just struggle to see how it is. And I so guess I someone's got to be the, someone's got to be culpable. I mean, oh, you know, I don't know. Man. He sets I think... the culture, does he? Or he influences it. He, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna... try, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand it. You don't, you don't want to be too uh, militant about this kind of stuff. The news but... cycle needs a fall guy. Right. Quite frankly, this okay. this is this is much this is much more about us than it is about mm-hmm. the company. Yes, there was some wrongdoing. Yes, it was wrong. If he was found to know anything, he should absolutely lose every one of that fifty three million dollars and frankly more, because uh, it comes it's, it's it's straight out fraud. Let's be honest. The people who were doing it committed fraud by by doing it. Fraud against the shareholders. Fraud against the the account holders. Yep. Um. You know that that is that is real and that is that is problematic. Is, is but if a... he didn't know about it, making him carry the can just so there can be a public fall guy, a public scapegoat talks about our desire as a public for revenge and for vengeance and for someone having to be responsible rather than realistically in the real world saying, yes, it sucks. Yes, it was wrong. He didn't know. Um, he's going to double down the getting it fixed. That That's what you expect to happen. Should, should he have to carry the can? Well, maybe, you know, he can afford to look, put it that way. I was going to say, maybe that's, that's part of the deal, right? We're going to pay you a ridiculous salary. You're going to have a huge amount of responsibility, but that's, that's, this comes with the territory. <laughs> you right. know, frankly, if someone's to pay me a quarter of a, you know, billion dollars a year, yeah, yeah. I'll take the fall <laughs> anytime. Well, and, that, and that's the problem. Look, so, you know, should, should he have to know in the court of public opinion, that, that, do we, do we all demand lynch mob like a, a victim, a fall guy, a scapegoat? Yes, we do. And so the Wells Fargo board went, dude, you're, you're the one, you know, you got the CEO sign on your desk. You're going to have to cop it for this one. Before we tie a knot on this, I yeah. just bring it back to the local perspective. If, <laughs> yes. if you're invested in Commonwealth Bank, is bankers, this something yeah. you know the kind of thing that you need to? Worry? I mean, geez, the, the bank, the Commonwealth Bank has been no stranger to scandal. <laughs> you know, with what's happening in their financial planning arm and God knows umpteen other things. Is this something that I need to worry about if I was an investor? I read an article by Adele Ferguson uh, from the Fairfax the other day, and there's something like 200 million dollars worth of penalties or repayments or whatever paid to to bank 
customers because of wrongdoing by those banks. That sounds like a lot of money. There's something pretty seriously wrong. And this is all about incentives, <laughs> yeah. right? So the, the financial planning scandals were caused by financial planners who got paid money for putting people into bad products. Yeah. If I can sell you something bad, yeah, what are you but I do? get paid for it, yeah. what do I care? Yeah. Now, the, the, so the incentives are wrong, the culture is wrong, the systems are wrong. Mm. And frankly, while the Royal Commission may not be the perfect solution to solve the problem, when the bankers, they call themselves the Australian Bankers Association, let's call them the Bankers Union to be call a spade a spade. Yep. When the Bankers Union say, no, nothing to see here, go away, we're fixing everything up, it's all okay. Trust us. There's 200 million reasons why you might think they need a little bit of help from yeah. someone. And frankly, if a Royal Commission flushes that out, I don't really see how it's bad news. The bankers say, oh, it's going to you know, harm, harm trust in our banking mm. system. Well, if that was the reality, then we wouldn't ever have a, a police royal commission because it might harm trust in the police. So we might, wouldn't investigate yeah, politicians because it might harm yeah. trust in the government. You know, the, justice needs to be done, frankly. And, and if, if it requires a royal commission to get to the bottom of this rubbish and get it, get it rooted out, then it's hard to say the bank CEOs of multiple banks and frankly, over long periods of time, have done enough to root out these sort of problems. Uh, that being said, mate, you ask the question, does it hurt Commonwealth Bank? Not really. There's, there's a rounding errors, unfortunately, and it hurts individuals far more than it hurts bank share prices. So you're an investor. Profits. I mean, you know, the banks at the moment, in, in a low interest rate world, you can get near enough 6%. Again, I'll stick with Commonwealth Bank for the sake of ease. Plus, they're fully franked. So what? Round that up to 8 plus percent in terms of your credits. gross yep. yield. Uh, they'll be pretty compelling, is it? You're the dividend guy. You tell me. <laughs> you, you run dividend investor. <laughs> I, I prefer to ask the questions. And then like, well, <laughs> no, come on, I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, you tell look, me. No, I'm not actually. I'm not. And and I, I think as much as I love uh, a good yield and I love uh, and you cash do. dividends, I and really you do. do um, you've got to look at the total picture. Yep. And the, the banks, the, the banks. Are, we, we'll do a whole se segment on this one time because there is a lot to say. Mm -hmm. But I think you, you've got to, even as an income uh, focused investor, you've got to look at your total return. I mean, there's no point in getting a good yield if there's an awful capital loss or something in there as well. And mm. my concern is at this point in time is that the kind of growth that the banks have experienced over the last 20 years, there's been a number of very broad structural factors at play there. There's been no recession in that time. There's been the rise of the dual income household. There've been falling interest rates. There's been rising property value. And there's this wonderful, like, you know, confluence of factors that have driven the demand for money and therefore bank profitability mm. at very, very high rates. Now, I'm not saying that's all over and the bank's going to crash. Far from it. I'm just saying going forward, the rates of growth are going to be slower. Right. Now, the market, I think, recognizes that. You know, market is not in the habit of leaving free money on the table. Yep. And and it, when you see the market off giving you a yield of that kind of level for the banks, yep. it's really saying we're not expecting a lot of growth here. Uh, so there's there's that. The other side of it is that there's a bit of an asymmetry, I think, between what you could get. Asymmetry? If, if everything goes really well with, 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 with the banks, mm -hmm. you stand to get a, a Decent return. Okay. Let, let's call it. Let's call it about a market average type double digit return. If things go bad, let's say there's a blow up in the housing space, or we have another really bad recession, or for whatever reason the downside is actually very extreme. P people tend to forget in this country that that banks are highly cyclical. We haven't had a cycle in this country for so long, <laughs> so you can understand why that is. Uh, so look, that's that's a that's a much longer answer than what you probably were after. But for me, I'm a pass on the banks. I think it's a good. I think it's a good strategy. I think you know when you've you're taking too much risk and not getting enough return, that's probably a sign there's better opportunities. Yeah, elsewhere. that's it. It's, an it, it, it's what else is out there. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's finish up with something. We, we, we sort of touched on a political thing now with the banks. Let's do it again. There's, there's <laughs> From the sublime to the ridiculous? The, well, it really is. So this is the thing. So Trump, a Trump presidency over in the US is a distinct possibility. Mm. I mean, it started off as this really sort of as a joke almost. And mm. it's, it's, it's getting to a point now we have to take this pretty seriously. Now, mm. I don't want to venture into into 
politics here, um, which is going to be tricky to do for a topic like this. <laughs> but I really want to I really want to focus this from from a financial perspective. Whether you lean to the left or you lean to the right, I mean, if if Trump comes in, he's got some pretty out there kind of policies. <laughs> do, is this is this really a, a significant global event that will have ramifications on financial markets? He's uh, look. There's the probability of Trump actually being elected in the first place. Let's assume he gets elected. Yeah, let's let's and, say he does. And yeah. Whether you're on the left or the right, I don't think anyone particularly is a big fan other than those who are disaffected with politics in general. Um, well, there's a lot of anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's, not, let's, not, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the, 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 the reason Trump is a big, big, big wild card. He's yeah. been pretty outrageous with the sort of things he said. Now, even if you agree with them, they are very, very different to the status quo in the world today. And so the biggest risk for investors right now is that we don't know what a Trump presidency means because A, we don't know what he'll follow through with and B, we don't know how the markets will respond. Yeah. He's talked about being a much more protectionist president for yeah. 30, 40 years. Tariff barriers have been coming down. Free trade's been improving. Yeah. It's improved the, the living standards and, and the working lives of most people around the world because if I can sell you my cheap wheat, you sell me your cheap cars, we both benefit. Yeah. If I've Comparative got a, advantage. If I've got to keep my own. cheap wheat but then have expensive yep. cars, my standard of living actually falls because I'm spending more mm. for the same things or I'm getting less for the money I've got. Mm. So either way, that's a that's bad news for the economy. A protectionist president it really does make it make a big difference. But here's the thing, though. The US is not a dictatorship or it's, you know, there there is there is a Senate, you know, things have to pass. There, mm -hmm. there are checks and balances. You know, yeah, so right. Trump can't come in and say, you know, it's not like he's got his finger poised over the button. <laughs> he's just going to launch a oh. nuclear obliteration of Russia or, you know, and, and, yes. and enact all these crazy. He can't do that, right? Well, no, not by himself. Please the, tell me he can't do that. Well, there's, there's a couple of problems here, right? So the first is that um, there, are, there are some powers that, is, uh, you know, the executive powers allow him to do certain things. The second thing is that if the U.S. politicians believe that the Trump, that, that Trump ends up with more than half the votes. There's a decent amount of self-preservation there that says, yeah, well, hang right, on, right. Trump's, Trump's campaigned on a certain range of promises. If half of the American population say, we like what he's doing, it's a brave politician who stands up and says, I'm not going to give you American people your way. John Howard always famously said, the electorate is right. Yes. You know, the electorate is always right. If, if, you know, if, if they vote you out, then they're right, you're wrong yep. by definition. Um, maybe that's a little bit kind of, you know, craven in, in some ways that, you know, the, the, elect the electorate can always be wrong from time to time. But frankly, the Australian people speak and, and the politicians mm. do what they're told. That's democracy, right? To some degree, mm. if you're, if you're a poly, are you really going to mm. say, I don't care that most of you want trade barriers. I'm going to say no. Now, hopefully, frankly, they will. It's bad, bad, bad policy. Um, but it, it's appealing to most Americans. Okay. And, and next election, next congressional election, do you want to have Trump standing there saying those guys voted against what you wanted American people? If Trump remains popular, very, very hard for those polys to say no. So, okay, so let's let's let's, let's um, extend the hypothetical here. So, not only does he get in, and he also gets his way on some of these measures. Mm -hmm. Is that is that a point at time as which you again being being agnostic here politically, just mm -hmm. say I don't want my money in a market, you know, in in, in a world where, where where Trump's running things. Yeah, that, that's the best question, Andrew. Look, the answer, for Andrew, frankly, is no. There has been uh, no shortage of problems, concerns, issues that have faced the world economy over the, over many, many, many decades. Yeah. And, you know, we use the usual list. There's been, there's been world wars, there's been regional wars. You talk about geopolitical events, right? Recessions like, and heaps. terrorism and, and yeah. nuclear meltdowns and, and as much stuff as you can think about, even yeah. just in the last century alone, you know, the, the amount of stuff that's happened. The last happened. 10 years. Right, right. So, you know, it's tempting to say, it's all too hard. I'm a bit scared. I'm going to take my money and go home. We like to say the market has gained about 10% a year over the very long term, despite not in the absence of those sorts of concerns. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you can, if you can invest right through World War One, World War Two, I mean, you know, yeah. 
they always say when you invoke Hitler, you've got to be careful because you lose the argument already. But think about <laughs> investing in the midst of either before, during, or after World War Two. Yeah. You, you're confronting the specter of Nazism across Europe. And yet investing was exactly what you should have been doing, what you should have kept doing, yeah. and the results have been there. So it doesn't mean it's comfortable, but again, the investing returns often are best mm. in uncomfortable times. It's, I see it as a mistake a lot of people make, and it's one, Lord knows, I've made before as well. You, you, you look out towards the world and you see all these worrying things, and there's always things to worry about. And you think, look, it's, it's an uncertain, scary place. I'm just going to wait until things settle down. Then I'm going to start investing. Mm. And it's a really sensible approach, but the, 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 you know, at least in theory, the trouble is, is that as soon as one sort of, you know, hiccup is resolved, another 10 sort of replace it. So mm. you, you are forever waiting for this environment where there's absolutely no problems in the world and no problems on the horizon, <laughs> yep. which means that all that happens is, is that you just have all your money in a, you know, a block of gold under your bed you got and, it. and you just do really, really badly over time. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's, uh, you know, and that's the challenge is, you know, you've got to take the risk that that you know, investing is volatile, but over time, businesses earn more profit because they solve more problems for more people. They result in innovation, technological change. You know, most of most of the advances we've had as in living standards over the last century have been as a result, almost entirely, of companies finding new ways to do different things, help us to live better lives. They do it more cheaply. They do it more excitingly. The iPhone, the motor car, the computer, the you know, satellites. There is no shortage of, of, of inventions and technological changes that have really made our lives better, made money for companies. Mm. And frankly, most of those companies listed on the, on the stock exchanges of the world, and they've made investors rich along the way. Yay, capitalism. Indeed. We better wrap it up, Scott. We've Let's gone a little that. bit over time this week. Uh, Fools, as always, we really appreciate your company. Remember, as well, uh, you can subscribe to us as well, Triple M's Motley Fool Money through iTunes and also your favorite Android podcast app. And you can go to the website as well, triplem.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you'd be so kind, give us a five-star rating and uh, help us push up the charts there. Scott, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. And until next time, Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.